Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Ask an Autism Mom Live with Jen Eggert of LackeyKid.com. You can join her live on Facebook to learn tips, meet other parents, and share your insights. She will tackle any topic from the dreaded meltdown to the basics of how autism can affect a family. This month, we are actually changing how we do things. We are going to focus on one topic all month long. Our topic this month is sensory diet. What is it? How does it benefit our child? We're going to get into all of that this month. Joining us today, I'm really excited that we actually get to break down sensory diet, what it is, and how it can benefit your child. Now, I want to welcome to the show today, Matt. He is an occupational therapy assistant, personal trainer, and special education teacher. Matt Sloan has directed his experience into specialized fitness programs for everyone while catering to sensory difficulties, neurodiversity, or any special needs. Matt also brings sensory education and strategies to educators, parents, fitness professionals, and anyone working with the sensory difficulties to provide sensory strategies and create a sensory-friendly environment and promote the importance of movement and learning in everyday activities. Matt, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me again. Good to be here. So I really want to talk about what is a sensory diet. It's such a misleading term. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the word word diet in it, so right away you think of food. And, you know, a sensory diet – it's similar to, you know, you think of the word diet, you think of food and food you eat and put in your body. It's similar in the sense that your body needs sensory input to kind of function throughout the day. Um, just like you would with food, right? You need to right. put food in your system in order to function and live. Same thing with sensory input. So um, that's a sensory diet is essentially, it's kind of a weird term. Um, I like to call it a sensory plan, but it's essentially the same thing. It's uh, understanding your kids' sensory needs and um, looking at the different environments they are throughout the day and making accommodations and modifications if needed to that environment while giving, being proactive about giving them that sensory input, um, sensory activities, and um, any assistance they might need throughout the day. So being proactive and with giving them that input to, in order to sustain their attention and avoid negative behavior or unwanted behaviors. That's kind of short term. I just want to say, folks, if you have a question while we're talking, ask now and we'll actually incorporate it into the questions and answers that we're doing at the time. So when you come up with a question, folks, ask right away. And that way Matt and I can tackle that while we're still on that topic. So it's not as just, messy. It's a little bit neater and easier to follow. So Matt, who does a sensory diet benefit? Well, a sensory diet benefits everybody. If you you think about it, we we all do it anyway. So for instance, I, when I get up, I, I try to exercise and that's my sensory input. I get my heavy work and I, I get moving and it makes kind of sets the tone for the next couple hours, right? I feel better. So then I, my attention is better. That's the same thing as a sensory diet. Um, you know, we're, 
being on the show, we're talking about kids. Uh, my son has, a, I have a sensory diet for him. Uh, I, I don't do it as much, but a, a few months ago, every, when he would get up in the morning, uh, I would make sure we come to the basement and try to get some swinging in or clawing some, through some Lycra uh, before he got on the bus. And that's what I did at home. And um, because the bus ride's kind of noisy and that would get him riled up and it's bumpy. So when he gets there, there's a, uh, a deal, he, a, a system we worked out with the school. It's called Jump Club. So when he gets off the bus, he can go right to the office and he jumps on a trampoline for a bit uh, before he goes to class. Or right. I, I think he went to class first and then went to the, I can't remember the order. But he, that was available th- for him throughout the day, uh, as well as uh, use of earphones, uh, head, uh, noise-canceling headphones. And, and he sat on a Lackey Kid uh, wiggle cushion as well. And then when he would come home, I would make sure we'd go right to doing something active, like do some kind of obstacle course or maybe even swinging. So that's that was my son's sensory diet. I was giving him movement throughout the day, and it was proactive, you know, in the sense that same thing as, you know, you think of a regular diet. If you're proactive about the foods you purchase, you're, you're usually buy the healthy food. So so yeah. you're ready. You have your, your efficient, you use your coupons, whereas you're reactive if you haven't done your food shopping and you got – you didn't get the healthy stuff. You're driving down the street and suddenly you're starving and you pull into McDonald's and then, you know, your body's still getting what it needs, but it's not as, it's not as good for you. And then kids will do that as well. They, you know, if you're proactive about getting them the sensory input that helps them, um, a lot of times they'll still seek that input and it's not always functional. Like my son likes to, he's an impact. He's always seeking impact. He likes to bang, 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 bang. So by getting that input in the morning, that decreased that need to do that throughout the day. So, um, if he didn't, if we did miss it that morning, or or he needed more, he would still seek that input, but it was dysfunctional. He interrupt class. It was you know he's running into kids in line, putting his hands all over other kids, and then he gets in trouble. So, so by having a sensory diet, especially in your son's case, it really kind of pulled him and made it easier for him to function in the classroom because his needs were met. I always say you can't pour from an empty cup. So in right. essence, every morning you would fill his cup up so yes. that he could take it through the day. Exactly, yes. It's, I, and I love that term, filling his cup up. You know, it's a, Sometimes we walk to school and that's filling his cup up. He'd get, he'd get, he'd get that, that motor running and, and uh, it was enough input, entire amount as well, <laughs> to get to class. Oh, yes. And one thing um, I think that's important to mention is that if the when the child gets used to it, it is more beneficial, but it can help at different times. Like Riley used to struggle with mealtimes. So if we would do the movements, she's more likely to sit down and eat. Because she she did the movement before we ate. Mm-hmm. Same with homework. I don't push homework until after she's had a chance to move around, to get some different sensory input to really help her focus again. Yes, that's a great idea. I mean, they sit for how many hours a day in class? Even though our teacher does brain breaks, you still need that time. Right, and it's it's individualized. Um, I think movement breaks are great. I think everybody needs it. But, you know, when you're creating a, a – when you start talking about sensory diets or a sensory plan for your kid, it's number one is, you, you know, you made that plan for your daughter because you understand her sensory needs. And that's that's step number one is knowing your 
kids' sensory needs. You know, so some kids seek input. You've heard the term seekers and avoiders. So kids that seek input are are, are going to look at. It. For, for my my son, he is a um, he seeks tactile input. He seeks input uh, impact. Excuse me, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me that he's doing that because that's helping him organize his brain so he can he can uh, bring his level down. So when uh, when he's um, getting up and hitting things, he's he's seeking that input because it's he's trying to organize himself. Whereas um, sometimes kids avoid that uh, certain inputs because it's it's dysregulating. It 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 doesn't make them feel good. Uh, my that same son is also he avoids loud noises. Um, uh, he avoids those. He covers his ears. He definitely doesn't like it. Dysregulates. He also avoids like um, um, sustained uh, pressure. So if I like was to put a lot of pressure on him, he doesn't like that. It's too much. So he avoids that. Um, so that's, you know, that's step one into understanding, into making a sensory diet for your kid is understand their sensory needs. And how do you, how do you do that? Well, you know, if, if you have an OT or, or someone that knows about sensory, there's, there are assessments you can get. If they're going to OT, they're, they're probably given some sort of either a sensory profile or a sensory processing measure that are two sensory tests, <coughs> excuse me, that OTs will administer. Um, and, and that's kind of this step one in, in kind of looking at like the different systems that, you know, um, vestibular sense, visual, um, auditory, you know, kind of going down the list. And then once you have that, you can kind of understand what, um, what your kid is seeking, what they're avoiding. Are they high registration? Meaning uh, like, are they, are they highly sensitive to things? Um, you know, again, my youngest son is very, like he hears a noise. He's, he's, right there. He's, he's aware of it all the time. Nothing gets by his ears ever, but, or, or maybe they're low, low registration where they, they, they don't, um, they're not aware of, of some input. Like maybe they have like food on their face and they're just not aware of that. Just knowing these little pieces of the puzzle helps you kind of build that, that input. I'm sorry, that, um, that sensory diet. Um, yeah. Um, you, and, and then once you kind of have that, then you kind of, start looking at their day you would maybe look look at the schedule of the day and looking like for instance knowing the environment for each part of the day we'll talk about school because that's really easy so looking at a my son gets on the bus so knowing that bus is bouncy it's a lot of movement it's a lot of visual distractions it's very loud um knowing that so knowing that environment um okay thinking about what accommodations you can make to that environment what modifications so i he has ear, earphones he can use if he wants he has them in his little bag um and then being proactive about the input before that is getting all that movement and to kind of get his body ready and then when he comes out of the bus the teachers kind of know to kind of look for signs okay is he does he need a minute does he is he good to go to school you know so just knowing that the different demands so sorry knowing the different environments as well as the demands of the activities going on within that environment if that makes sense right now something you just said kind of made me think of something um riley when she struggles she gives herself sensory input and it is in a negative fashion we're working on changing it but you can give the wrong kind of sensory input and it is possible i mean sure. riley right now it's biting her hands Mm -hmm. that's how she seeks sensory input and we've moved to jewelry that she can 
use instead. But one of the key things I think we need to keep in mind is, and you said knowing if your child's a seeker or an avoider, or they could be both. Your son is yes. both. My daughter totally. is both. Totally. We all, yes, we all are at some point on some level. Yeah. Exactly. We all have things we like and we don't like. Is what and that, and that, can also, that can also change from day to day as well. What, what, one, yeah. you know, and so you never, we never know. You get a general sense of it, but keeping your eye on that. Right. But I want to mention that you want to stay away from negative sensory input. Well, I think being, that, I think that goes back to being kind of proactive. So when she's biting on her nails, she's trying to regulate herself. So, I mean, or her fingers that that's more reactive. So she's, she's doing it herself and that's, that's fine. But, but I mean, that can, we all kind of, some of us, you know, we all have kind of a, on some level, an all fixation. Like I chew on my pen a lot, but that can also be dysfunctional, like in, in, in your daughter's case. Uh, but so being aware of that and looking for those signals before she gets to that dysfunctional, uh, modality, dysfunctional activity. So then knowing her and knowing what works for her, then kind of implementing some of those uh, activities. So maybe, maybe she has a movement break before, as before she gets to this, to this piece. Um, right. Maybe she gets to wear some headphones or maybe she gets to, um, so just being aware of that. So I think it kind of goes to like being, getting, being intentional about the input during the day before, before a kid, really really starts to seek it and, and like you said in a negative fashion or, or a dysfunctional way exactly and another thing that i think we should bring up is that you want to be proactive but you want to teach your child body awareness and that has a lot to do with the sensory diet mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah. So any all this, all input you're kind of your the kid is getting if if uh, if you're using sensory strategies, it's all movement based. And as they as they get, uh, you know, from I'll use my son again. So I'm gonna use my I'm gonna use my oldest son, who's kind of the opposite <laughs> and the total opposite of my youngest son. So he is uh, he's kind of low registration. He's kind of he's, he's such an opposite kid. It's funny. Well, when he um, when he reads. He, he's he's a hyperlexy. He he'll he'll read forever and ever. He's he's uh, young. He's only eight, but he's he's reading at a, like a fifth, almost sixth grade level. Um, wow. He'll read he'll read forever, and I have to I have to kind of make sure he's getting some movement because when that book goes down, he he, he goes from zero to sixty. There's no in between. Um, so when I when he is reading, part of his sensory diet when he is reading, I try to get him in a beanbag. If I get him in a swing and he can read, that way he's getting that that input. And in that sense, here you're giving body awareness. He's building that awareness of where his body is in space and and how it feels. And then when the book is down, he's a little bit less. For the most part, he's a little bit less. You know, if he's if he's going to read for an hour or two hours, uh, he's a little bit less chaotic. Um, right. So yeah. So you're when you. All movement and all sensory input. You're, you, you kind of a lot of our kids, especially when they're really young, they're developing body sense anywhere and body awareness. And, and the more input they get, when I'm stagnant and I'm staring at something, I'm not really getting a whole lot of body awareness. So I'm just using my visual sense um, or my auditory. I'm getting that when I'm using getting those physical inputs. Um, 
that's when I start to kind of build that body scheme, body map, body awareness. And then you can, then with that comes along regulation and understanding what's going on inside my body and emotions and the whole gamut. And, and one thing, like you were saying, your son's a reader, he'll do it for hours. I know some of our kids will be on their iPad for as long as they can get away with. And you can simply use things like our window seat so that even though they're focused on that one thing, the reading, they're still getting the movement and the pressure. Yeah. And yeah. they just don't know it. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah, incorporating, I'm a big advocate for incorporating movement into everything, you know, while knowing your kid. Because sometimes if I'm moving too much, that can send me off. But if, right, if you right. have a, a kid that is, um, you know, these are so addictive and I mean, they're so easy to kind of lose yourself. We all do it. I sit and so I, I sit on this phone all day. And then I, when I put this phone down, I'm, I need to go move. Um, so making sure that kids are getting breaks, movement breaks, sensory input while understanding their individual needs and what's going on around them in the environment. And that's, that's creating your kids sensory diet. Exactly. Now, um, Melissa, Cox has a question for us. She wants to know, does this come along with the self-harm? Could my son be missing the sensory input he needs and using self-harm instead? Um, yeah, it, it could be a piece of it. A, a lot of times self-harm can go along with, uh, it, it's one way to kind of uh, help them regulate themselves. So, you know, um, some head banging, that, that's, their way to kind of get their their regulation back down. They're, they're getting some sensory input. Um, yeah, it, it, it can definitely help with reducing that by getting more input throughout the day. Uh, you know, being intentional about the movement and the input um, can help with that. Because, you know, a lot of times, why are they self-harming? Because they are dysregulated, because they're upset, they're very emotional. And right. that, can, that can stem from trauma, being frustrated, um, <clears throat> not just not having control of your emotions. And that's not something you generally uh, are, can learn really as a, as a young kid um, or if you have difficulty with communication or anything like that. But through body sense and body awareness comes the better ability to regulate. And with better ability to regulate comes less frustration. Less frustration is less, can be less self-harm. I, I, I hope I explained that. I hope that helps. But yes, in the short um, answer, yeah, in, body input, sensory diets can help. Right. Now, I just want to say real quick, hi, Riley. Riley and my mom are in the other room actually watching us right now. I just got a message saying, hi, mommy. <laughs> so, hi, Riley. Now, Melissa Riley. again asks, Matt, any suggestions on changing the self-harm to a more acceptable sensory input. Well, that, I mean, that would be something if, if, is your kid going to OT or working with an occupational therapist or um, I, I would get with them. They're going to know your kid. Um, I'm sorry. So the question was, what can you do instead of, what was the question again? I'm sorry. Um, any suggestions on turning self harm into sensory input? I think we're going to put that one on the burner for a second. 
because an important part of this is who is involved in building a sensory diet and executing a sensory diet. And I think once we learn who we can work with, then maybe it'll give Melissa more ideas to turn that negative into a more positive experience. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, working. So generally when you're making a sensory diet, you're, you're discovering this, your kids sensory needs that's generally done with an occupational therapist. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and <clears throat> is anyone knowing sensory integration and understanding sensory integration therapy, that that's a good person to use. Generally that's an OT. It doesn't necessarily have to be and not all OTs are kind of trained in sensory per se, but that that's, they're the person to talk to. They're going to know the most in, generally in your area um you want to just real quick yeah. explain sensory integration um a lot of our parents real probably quick. don't understand that word sure so sensory integration is all your senses kind of working together to your senses are integrated they're all working together to navigate through life right so you're walking down the street and the terrain changes so then your your body has to be your visual and your auditory and and your uh proprioception and your vestibular system all have to work together to navigate the world, right? So that's what sensory integration is. Um, when it comes to kids with sensory difficulties and most people on the autism spectrum, sensory processing disorder, any a lot of neurodiversities struggle with a sensory uh, difficulty, the senses aren't wired the way most people's are wired. They're, they're wired differently. So their senses aren't working the way you know, they're the way we're supposed to. So movement can be dysregulating. Um, they may they may not have a lot of body sense, so they go out and seek that. Or or uh, sound is too much, touch is too much, or not enough. So they're just their systems are not working. So sensory integration therapy is um, something generally in OT practices, and it's a method uh, created by Gene Ayers in I want to say the late seventies, early eighties. Can't quite remember the date. Anyway, so it's it's a way in, in which using kind of um, the basic senses and, and excuse me, uh, movements and sensory input to help get the nervous system to a, a regulated place and uh, build body awareness and be okay with what's going on here. So then you can move on to higher cognitive activities, if that makes sense. So I just want to reiterate, folks, that the sensory input, it does have a neurological aspect to it because I mean, well, if you want to explain that a little more, Matt. Well, I mean, your sensory systems are the first things to develop, you know, in utero, it's your, your tactile, your vestibular sense, your propios, you know, movement of my head, the, the, the feeling it from, I get from my muscles and my joints, the, the, the tactile I get from the outside pressure on the outside. These are all things that develop in utero and as I come out, I develop, I now have to explore the world. And, and if there's something going on with those senses, if I, that means I'm interpreting the world a little differently and I'm going to react a little differently. And that might look like things like self-harm or uh, withdrawal or um, seeking other input. So yeah, it's, it's, it's at your brainstem. I mean, it's, it's the base of, of, of all of us, our sensory systems. It's, I find it's extremely important. A lot of times it's overlooked. Um, um, now back to who can we work with to set up a sensory diet? Um, of course we can work with OT. We've discussed that, 
Brenda would like to know if ABA can help with a sensory diet. Um, ABA is more of a cognitive approach. Uh, approach. Um, I, um, I don't know that many ABA therapists that some have an idea of sensory. If if someone has an idea of of uh, of, of what sensory actually is and, and how it works and how it applies to behavior, I, it's so I I would say you know talk to them. Uh, I would consult a note. I'm an, I'm going to go with the, I'm a CODA. I'm an occupational therapy assistant, so I'm going to say gonna go to the OT first. But they're generally the ones that are trained in sensory. There there might be an ABA therapist. Just because I'm an ABA therapist doesn't necessarily mean I don't know anything on sensory. But uh, right. I find it's more of an, in the it's more in the OT realm. Um. Now, I just want to put this out there, folks. I'm seeing these questions. I want to let you all know that this whole month we have four weeks of shows between me and Matt. So if we don't get your question today, or if you come up with another question that you need to ask, Matt will be with us again next week. I will get more in depth on sensory diet. Week three, Matt will come back and he will actually show us different things that we can use for a sensory diet. And then week four, we'll do a wrap up and Matt and I will answer any remaining questions and deal with anything else. So don't feel like you have to ask every question right this minute and that if you don't, you're missing out. Matt and I are really going to get into sensory diet or a sensory plan so that you guys can have all of the information to set this up properly and have a good plan for your child. Mm -hmm. um, now, Samantha wants to know, how do you start a sensory diet if you do not have an OT? Um, uh, you, you know, I, I, I would I'd go to an OT first, try to find one at school. If your son's in school, it, um, you know, there's no harm in asking and talking, trying to find somebody, or you can get free consultations. I'm sure it kind of depends. Uh, they you know, have an IEP. They should have been. Yeah, they, an IEP, they should have been assessed. Definitely, if they have an IEP or a 504, you could. I mean, even if they don't, if there's an OT in your school district, you can always approach them and say, "Hey, you know, I'm seeing some things with my kid. What, can you tell me a bit more about sensory diet?" Most people are more than happy to share their knowledge. Um, you can also, you know. Uh, yeah, I would start there. I would start with uh, consulting with the, the, a doctor or a, an OT or, <clears throat> excuse me, or even a speech therapist too. Right. And there's also the options of, you said doctor, but um, a behavioral and the specialists who diagnose autism, they're also a really great resource. Sure. As well. Yeah. Yes. Now... Of course, we have a question that is difficult to answer because it is my husband's. Would there be a good way to introduce ABA to a sensory diet? You know, I, I, I look at when I when I say sensory, I, I don't go to the cognitive, right? Really. I mean, if you think about it, so my my sensory diet is I get up and I exercise. There's nothing cognitive about that. I'm just getting body input. Uh, yeah, you can use things like uh, how does uh, your engine run and um there are programs to help with that you know i'm in the blue zone green zone yellow zone you know that those are all great and if they work fantastic i you know i would 
our kids get a lot of cognitive strategies, uh, and I, I feel like there's, there's less emphasis put on just the, the sensory input and movement. When I, and when I say movement, we can talk more about that next week, but that's kind of the, when we talk about the actual activities you're doing, and you'll understand it's not really so much a cognitive approach. It's not, I'm not teaching anything. I'm just giving kids a movement break and, and, and uh, having music hands. Sometimes it's just sitting down talking to another person. That could be part of their sensory diet. Um, Squeaking, sitting in a small space, taking a break. We all do these things. We all stand up and we take a walk. Um, I'm not actually teaching myself anything, whereas ABA, you know, applied behavior analysis, they're teaching behaviors. That's, it's different. It's in a different box. So I would say kind of go, it's, it's, it's a bottom-up approach. It's from, um, we're going inside out. <laughs> that sounds right. weird when I say it like that. But that's what my mind thinks of when I, when I think of it. Did that answer? I he, he likes to ask questions that are difficult to answer. He's sitting beside me smiling right now. Um, and I want to say that one of the things that Riley's school does that I am absolutely in love with is brain breaks. When she notices the class is starting to get a little antsy, a little talkative, she'll stop everything, put them on the carpet, and then play a short video. Usually it's a song that comes with a, a dance. Like, remember that old song, What Does the Fox Say? Well, they would do the movements to that song and sing that song, and it would give them that sensory input so that she can later then put them back at their seats and get them back on track. Yeah, and that's great. Incorporating movement into the classroom, if, you know, a, a lot of it's having dynamic seating or active seating, and that's all part of it. That's just, it's just, a lot of it is very, very, 95% of it is movement-based, and my body's getting to be able to move, and whereas... The kids need to move anyway. We're moving less as a culture. That's a whole another topic we can talk about. But um, when that affects our learning, right? We all we all do. You know, I'm tapping my foot right now because I've been sitting for a long time, so I'm getting antsy. I need a moving break in a bit <laughs> when we're done with this. I have this on my lap that I'm I'm actually working my arm on moving. There you go. Um, and another thing that's really cool that some schools are starting to adopt that I fell in love with. I'll try and get some pictures and post them in group tonight. But the hallways with the different movements. I don't know if you've oh, seen them, Matt. But yeah, yeah. I've I've designed a few in some gymnasiums. Yeah, they're uh, they're um, obstacle courses and visual obstacle courses through the hallways. I think they're fantastic. Stuff like that is it's promoting movement. It's promoting getting back in touch with your body. So when you're done, now I'm in a better place of learning. Right. I'm, my, you know, and, and again, and then so there's these generic things you can totally do and have these tools and all this stuff uh the best thing is to know your kid and i you know i see a question on there um, samantha i see you're you're asking about um you know not, not having access to an ot they don't have an iep um just but finding out other ways to, to find out more about your kids sensory needs and i guess we could talk let me look into that you know it's something i can look into what do you do if your kid doesn't have resources at school um and not only that, Melinda, you're asking about um, what products you can use for sensory diet. Um, not next week, but the week after, uh, two weeks from today, Matt and I are actually going to sit down and Matt's going to be in his gym with one of his children. And he's going to show you both products you can purchase and things that you can use around the house. 
It should be it's interesting. Really so in two weeks, Matt will actually work through some of the movements so that we can not only hear, oh, go do this, but we can see how Matt introduces it and how Matt works it into their daily schedule. Now, Jason wants to bring up Chris's question that somehow got skipped. What about oral sensory needs? Uh, oral motor, I think, is extremely important and uh, awesome. And I could spend a long time talking about oral motor. But, yeah, I mean, so having um, candy to suck on or gum. Gum is a great is, is, a, is an oral motor activity you can do. And that getting a ton of input in your jaw, these great big strong jaw muscles that have all these mechanoreceptors are, is a great way for a kid to, to, to get some input while they're sitting down doing a math test or whatever. Um, uh, blowing bubbles in a straw or, or sucky drinking through a straw is another way that maybe that's part of your sensory diet. Let the kid drink out of a straw. And yeah, those rubber, experimental rubber, friendly rubber, rubber, what? silicone straws are good for them to chew on. Yes, in fact, I just had one. I, here, I have a small one in my hand. It's, uh, it's yep. kind of this is, this is, sorry. This is actually a chew I use for my my kids' brace, my braces. But something, yeah, something like that they can chew on. Something chewy that they can be jewelry stuff like that to where it's. I acceptable. Don't have it with me, mm -hmm. But Riley has jewelry in her room. I wish I had brought one out. But and that's another great thing for that oral sensory. We actually bought a, a six pack, and it comes with all different textures. And I really love that each one was slightly different. Yeah, and that's you know when we talk about movement breaks, that's a movement break, and maybe you know maybe that's something you bring talk about with your you find out more about that you talk about it with your teacher. My kid needs a movement break, but movement breaks are sometimes can be disruptive to the class. The teacher doesn't know how to manage them. So then, great oral motor. It's a great way to get that movement. Riley was listening and watching, so she just came running down the hall. Perfect. Um, this is one of her jewelry. This is the most textured one. It's, as you can see, it's got a little bit of texture, but these have become an amazing source for her. She has them in her book bag. She wears them. They are great. Um, Shell. You can't do gum, but suckers work. I agree. If you can't do gum, there are suckers. We actually would use suckers to get Riley to open her mouth when she was in speech therapy. She wouldn't open her mouth. So the um, speech therapist would use the sucker to get her to open her mouth and put her mouth in different shapes. So that was a really great thing to do. Now, unfortunately, folks, we are past our time. But tonight was great. Like I said, don't worry about getting it all in tonight. Matt and I will be back. This is a month-long topic that we really want to make sure you have a great handle on and we can do the best we can to help you. So I want to thank you all for joining us. Matt, I want to thank you for coming and not only committing for tonight, but committing for more shows in the future to really get into a sensory diet. Um, Matt has also written a blog for us that will be coming soon based on sensory diet or a sensory plan. Um, 
And if you want to remember, if you want to subscribe for live updates, type the number five in the comment section now, and that will set you up so that when I go live, you'll be notified that I am live. So you never miss a live again. Also, don't forget that we do have the parent support group. It is a loving place where you can come, ask questions, get support. We have parents who vent. I do not allow it to be negative. So I really want to focus on support and loving each other as parents. And you can ask questions in there. So please check out our parent support group. Do not forget that we also have our sensory deals group where you can find some of our products on deals and whatnot. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Matt, thank you again. I can't wait to see nope. you again in two nope. weeks. Can I, uh, can I do a quick plug real quick? I, uh, you know it. I, I just uh, on my website, sensoryfitness.org, I, I just started a blog. I have about four on there. Uh, just some, from some, some sensory tips. I try to gear it towards parents for things to do at home to kind of help understand um, sensory needs. So check it out, sensoryfitness.org, and go to my blog. Um, thank you, Jason. Jason has put the link for sensoryfitness.org in the comments section so that you can easily find it. Check it out, guys. Matt really knows what he's doing, and he doesn't just say, oh, do this, do this, do this. He actually does it and helps his children do it. Try to. So, <laughs> and, and I know, and people are going to laugh, but sometimes making your own children do it is harder than helping another child. Yes, it is. You got to be a parent first. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard enough. So thank you, everyone. Remember, I will be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, where I will dive more into a sensory diet in two weeks. Matt will be back with us, where we will go over different things that you can do to put into their sensory diet or their sensory plan, and he will give you some live examples, and we will go from there. So thank you all for joining us, and remember, until next time, empower, support, and educate. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today with Jen Eggert. You can join her live on Facebook. To learn more information about how to join our free parent support group, watch the show live, or ask your question that will be answered live by Jen on an upcoming show, please visit LackeyKid.com forward slash ask. It's L-A-K-I-K-I-D dot com. So ask your questions as she is willing to tackle whatever topic you need. If you like our show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Your review will enable us to help more families.